Okay, so this, this, uh, there's some really good stuff here. Uh, the typical narrative that we hear about the birth of Jesus, this, this line, so just think about it. When you hear this line, uh, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Just think about what is the typical narrative that you hear? The, the one that I, that's familiar to me and I think is familiar to, to all of us is this, that Joseph and Mary, of course, they had to go to Bethlehem because they had to go for this, this uh, enrollment, this census thing. And they went and, you know, they're, they're like trying to get into the local hotel, the Hotel Bethlehem, you know, and they're just like knocking at the door. And, and the innkeeper is like, sorry, we're all full. Like all these people are coming to town and we don't, we don't have any room for you. Right. And so that you like the typical thing is to imagine the conversation that was going on. And Joseph trying to convince this innkeeper, like my wife is pregnant. Don't you see that she's very pregnant? And, you know, we're going to have we're gonna have a birth. Like, don't you have like a conference room or something that we can use? And the guy's just like, I'm sorry, we don't have any room for you. There's no room for you. And so then. Poor Joseph and Mary, they, they have to, you know, go find someplace else. They have to just kind of make do for themselves. And so they go find this, like, old rundown shack uh, that we call a stable. And, you know, like, among the animals that are there, you know, like, they go out to the barn and she gives birth. And it's like they're all by themselves, you know, poor Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And, and you know, it's like, is, isn't it too bad that the innkeeper rejected? Isn't it too bad that nobody offered up their hotel room so that Joseph and Mary could have one? Isn't, isn't that, that's kind of like the typical narrative. Um, I, which is not a bad narrative, but what I uh, learned this week is that, that maybe there's another way to look at this. And that other way to look at this is it requires us to look at how they lived back then. So hopefully, hopefully you're aware of this, that people haven't always lived the way that we live as far as our housing goes. People always haven't had like really big houses with lots of rooms and, you know, a separate barn out, you know, back and, and those kinds of things. But a lot of times, especially at the time of Jesus, people lived really close to each other. And they lived mostly in like pretty close proximity, even in their own house. So they had like, as I understand it, they had like one major room that they lived in. And then kind of underneath that room or maybe off to the side was a separate room for animals that was connected to the house. So not a, a separate barn, like, you know, down, down the hill or something like that, but a, a room that was connected to their house. Like, in other words, these people lived very close or even with their animals uh, because space was tight, maybe. Uh, and then next to that, or, or maybe on the other side of that, the main room of the house would have been this separate guest room. You know, like a lot of you probably have guest rooms in your houses. This would have been something that they would have had, a, a special guest room or like an upper room, right? So we know that Jesus had his last supper in an upper room. That would have been similar to the kind of thing that we're talking about. So we get a little confused because we hear in and we associate it with like a hotel. But the word that's used here, I don't know the language, I don't know Greek, but from what people tell me, the word that's used here, it's not referring to the word that is for a hotel. Luke actually uses that word in his gospel in chapter 10, where he's talking about the Good Samaritan, about how this guy is going and he gets beat up and he's left for dead. And this Good Samaritan comes along and you know, cares for him and he brings him to the local inn, this, this public place where people could stay. And he, he gives the innkeeper you know, money and he's like, care for him and if you spend more than what I give you, I'll come back and pay you in full, that kind of thing. So that's, that's like a hotel. This is more like referring to the guest room. In other words, what's happening? Joseph is going to his hometown. He's going to his hometown. He's going to visit his family. So it, it would be really strange, especially given the culture of the Jewish religion that was heavily focused on hospitality. It would be really strange to think that his family just like left him and Mary to fend for themselves. Even, even in the potential shame of Mary's, you know, kind of unexpected pregnancy and, you know, they're not fully married yet. You know, but even within that, it would be really strange. The more likely scenario, what, what I've, I've read, heard a couple of sources say, is that 
their guest room was already lent out to someone else who had come to town for, for the census. And what's more, the, the guest room maybe wouldn't have been big enough. So when it says there, wasn't, there was no room for them, the idea is, is something that you're, a lot of you are very familiar with, is that, is that to give birth to a child, it, it's kind of space consuming, right? Like it, you, need, you need extra space to do that. So the idea is, is that it's not that they were rejected, but it's that the family, Joseph's family, they went out of their way to make extra room for them. And of course, they, did, they didn't have a crib. And so what did they do? They, they took this manger, this what's a feeding trough for animals, and they made a crib out of that so that, so that Jesus could have a space. I, I just, I, I love this, this image because, so like when we typically talk about the, the more commonly understood way is that, you know, they were rejected and, you know, and we don't want to reject Jesus. So how about we, we do what we can to avoid serious sin? And that's, that's absolutely true. We should avoid serious sin. Absolutely. Avoid uh, those, those actions, those words, those thoughts that are especially offensive to the Lord. Absolutely. But I also love, and maybe I love in a better way or a greater way, this, this additional perspective, which is not only should we avoid serious sin, but how about we make room for the Lord in our lives? How about we actively pursue a life that seeks to say, you know what, Jesus, you can have the this, this central part of my life. I, I want to I open up the space of my heart that is, that is central to me, and I, I'm willing to be inconvenienced by that. Because, because when I see Jesus born into the world, what, what do I see? I, well, I, I certainly hear this prophecy from, from Isaiah. I, I hear the angels saying, glory to God in the highest. So what I, what I notice is like, okay, well, this baby, when he's born, and this, this man, ultimately, when, when he's living, what, what, he demands my attention. He demands it. Why? Because the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You think about this, like, I think, I think this is especially pertinent to us living, living in, in this time of the year when the days are so short, the daylight is so short. When, what happens? When we wake up in the morning and it's dark and it's dark and it's dark and it's dark and finally it seems like the sunlight is coming, what do we, what do we do? Well, if we really appreciate the sunlight, we stop what we're doing and we just watch the sunrise. Because, why? Because the light that comes into the darkness, it's just beautiful. There's something about it that, you know, like we see the sun ordinarily throughout our day, but when it comes up across the horizon for the first time, this is the kind of thing that if I really appreciate it, I, I stop and just watch it and I appreciate the sun. Or, or at the end of the day, when I know the sun is going down, because I know that it's going to be dark for a while, what do I do? If I really appreciate the sunlight, I stop and I just watch the, sun, the, sun, the sunset. Why? Because, because the light... If I know that it's not always going to be there, the light demands my attention. If I really appreciate it, although, although maybe some people prefer the darkness, you know, but, but the idea here is that we would prefer the light. And so we would take time to look at the light. And so when, when we're talking about Jesus coming into the world as a light shining in the darkness, well, what? It's the kind of thing that is made for us to give our attention toward. It's the kind of thing for us to, to say, you know what? I want to... I want to just stop what I'm doing and notice this incredible gift. I think, I think there's a lot of people in, in our churches and our communities who are really good at like, well, I'm not killing anybody. I'm, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not uh, stealing a whole bunch of money, right? There's, there's lots of people in our communities who are really, really good at doing the, like avoiding the things that we should avoid. Avoiding those really serious sins. But what I wonder is how many of us are really good at going out of our way to make extra space for the Lord. 
how many of us are really good at, at like anticipating his arrival and saying, okay, Lord, I know this might be a little inconvenient and I know this might, like your presence might challenge me because I got to notice you and maybe that means I got to take my attention off of some things, but more than anything, I want to notice you and so I'm, I'm actually ready to make space for you. Even though it might be messy, it might be inconvenient, I'm ready to make space for you. This, this I think, in so many ways is what St. What Paul is getting at uh, when, when he says to Titus here, he says, Beloved, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God, like what, what is the grace of God? Well, Jesus, of course, is, is a, a working, a gift from God. It's a grace of God who comes and appears to us. God who has no body, who has no appearance normally, he takes on an appearance so that we can see him. We can see that we matter to God so much that he's willing to become like a dependent baby. That grace appears to us. Why? Because he wants to save all and he wants to train us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age. This, this is the kind of thing that, that we're talking about is that when Jesus appears, yes, he wants to save us. That message of salvation is, is amazing. It's incredible. But the message of salvation comes with it, this sense of training in righteousness, training in godliness. And you think about anything that's, that's worth getting trained with, you know that it's going to cause some inconvenience, some difficulties. Right? If, I'm, if I have to learn a new skill, if I have to learn a new uh, job, something like that, well, what? It means that someone's got to train me in it. And it means a lot of times I'm going to find myself saying, you know, like, I, I would have done it this way, but you're training me to do it this way. So I, I guess you're the one training me, so I, I got to set aside my preferences and, and follow your instruction. Right? So if I'm being trained, there's like a heavy implication there of like inconvenience, of, of not always understanding it right away. But as I'm trained in, in righteousness, then what can happen? Then eventually I, I can become righteous. What can happen is I, I can eventually just naturally reject godless ways and worldly desires and I can naturally live a devout life, a life that is focused on Jesus because the training has, has done its work in me, as, as difficult as that work might be sometimes, that training has done its work in me to create this space so that Jesus can be born in me and rest there. Find a space. And where I, as he comes there, I can stop and just notice him. This, I think, is, is incredible. I think this is, this is, in so many ways, the message of Christmas. And, and what's, 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 is there an aid? Is there an aid that Jesus provides for us? And I think there is. It's, it's both the aid and the focus of our training. In other words, it's the reason for our training. And as we receive it, it's the thing that, that helps us along in our training. And that, that thing is, is ultimately revealed to us in the gospel. So this, this is like another thing, just in the last thing. The city of David, where Joseph is from, he goes to it, Bethlehem. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus is then placed in a feeding trough for animals. Later on in the Gospels, in John chapter 6, Jesus reveals, he says, I am what? I am the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What is the focus of our spiritual training? The focus of our spiritual training ultimately is the Holy Eucharist. To recognize that, that if we aren't rejecting godless ways and worldly passions, then, then we can't actually receive the Holy Eucharist. Even if we think that we can, we're not going to un ultimately understand this because it's not part of our training. Right? So the, the focus of our training is the Holy Eucharist where Jesus, 
who is the bread of life, born in the city of bread, the house of bread, placed in a feeding trough for animals. He gives his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity to us in the Holy Eucharist so that we can feed off of him. Where we can be nourished by him, right? So it's the focus as well as it's the very thing that helps us. Because when we are able to receive Holy Communion in a state of grace, where we've rejected godless ways, we're living godly, devout lives, what can happen? Well, he can nourish us and support us and encourage us and provide every grace that we could possibly receive, that we could possibly need. What an incredible gift that the Lord comes to us, not just this one time as a baby, but he comes to us over and over and over and over and over again. And he offers us this incredible opportunity for our purification. He offers us this incredible opportunity for us to be inconvenienced by him, yes, but, but in that inconvenience, it, it provides us an opportunity to honor him to glorify him, and then to be fed by him, to give our attention to him. In so many ways, this baby that's born 2,000 years ago, who now comes to our altar 2,000 years later, day after day after day, this baby, this silent word, is what he's pleading for us. And he's just asking us, won't you notice me? Won't you give me your attention? Won't you let me come into your life? Won't you make space for me?